Coming up, what an excellent day for fighting. And welcome to Minute 41 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with a little fight. And it ends with a big fight. <laughs> and would you believe it, folks, this is the easiest thing to listen to in this whole minute. Uh, like, I thought we had gotten away from it, but no, it surprised me here, probably because it was so quick. I'm doing something with time again that, like, I thought this party was happening the night of Damien's uh, training session, right? Right after uh, he'd left the hospital with his uncle. Um, the editing certainly suggested that, and I think we might have even mentioned that in the last episode. Like, oh, is this the same day? Yeah, that's the magic of the movies, baby. It all works on dream logic, where everything is uh, the same day, and it's also several weeks in the future, whatever it feels right, right? Ah, uh, so sometimes, <laughs> sometimes dreams are bad. Uh, yeah, sometimes um, when you're when you're making a movie, actually, like everyone who's making a movie has to go through the script and and decide for themselves what the what the story days are. Hmm. So like the costume designer is a really big deal, right? Like, are they wearing the same right. clothes as before? And then right. when you have this, where you're cutting between two completely different spheres of action between uh, Damien and uh, Chris. Yeah, that's a very good question. Is this the same story day or not? Um, hmm. I, th- I, I got the sense that it's later, several days or at least several weeks later. It has to be right. Because uh, I mean, later on, we're going to hear about um, Mary Karras being at home. Right. Well, that's a good, that's a good question. Whether that is true or not. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> these oh. are these are very good questions. Yes, to have. Yeah. So when oh. you're when you're going through a script, like the costume designer does a little breakdown, the script supervisor, the production designer, um, and the assistant director, and they all have to, you know, uh, they might go through and say, "Oh, I, I thought this was the same day," and then they have to get someone to step in and say, "Okay, we're all going to agree. Like, what do you think, Mister Director Man? Yeah. Like, is this the same day or not?" And Friedkin insists on being called Mister Director Man. <laughs> Mr. Director Pants is how I like yeah. to be called. Mr. Director Pants. <laughs> Even on non-filming days, call me Mr. Director Pants. Exactly, yes. <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I, I one of the jobs I had was to, I ran um, the snack bar at a Target. Uh-huh. And that's what I insisted they call me there. <laughs> like Mr. Hot Dog Stand Running Man. <laughs> <laughs> Here at Target, we're a family. Please call me Mr. Hot Dog Stand Running Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hot Dog Stand Running Man is my father. <laughs> you can call me Frank. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay. Well, actually, I'm excited to, uh, to hear what you have to say about, um, uh, about, uh, the, the, the details on, uh, on Mary Karras's whereabouts. Uh, when, <laughs> yeah. Once we get to that. Once we yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, okay, but uh, in any case, uh, the party is still in full swing here. Uh, we got Carl uh, wearing himself a smile. Is this the first time we see him smiling? It's such a nice thing to see. He just doesn't get to smile a lot. Nobody in this movie except one person, one captain, <laughs> has any occasion to smile in this film. So when I see these people smile, like we saw Reagan, like really genuinely smiling for like that split second in the last minute or when we see Karis smile there's another guy like when he smiles it's like oh thank god please give this guy a break right um 
So yeah, I like seeing Carl smile here. Um, again, I have this affection for Carl because maybe more so in the book, uh, but he's just this like almost exaggerated caricature of just this like hulking, emotionless gorilla. Uh, again, I'm thinking of Max from Can't Stone Dance, um, <laughs> where it's, it's like his bit. His, like he really is like a one note character like like Max is in uh, in the cartoon and his comedic contribution is that while everything else is going crazy around him he's just this like Easter Island statue who's like completely unaffected and that's the gag is that he doesn't react the way that you would react and yeah like uh, th- that. I had to, I had to, this is the second time Cats Don't Dance has come up, I suppose. So I did have to go and look at that because that's a movie I saw when I was a kid and didn't like mm-hmm. it very much, even as a kid. I think I was a mm-hmm. Disney snob. Uh, so Cats Don't Dance, that character, Max, is based on Max, um, yes. <laughs> based on Max from Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that is, um, yeah, Eric von Stroheim's character, and, and Eric von Stroheim was the man you love to hate. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, he was always glowering and and, uh, and and frowning. Yeah, yeah. So that's that kind of that figure. So if you don't know and Cats Don't Dance, but you know Sunset Boulevard, depending on where you're coming from, uh, when, as yes. you come to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But he's the one, he's also the one who um, uh, had his actors drink uh, real wine, right? Yeah, exactly. We did talk about Eric von Stroheim already, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forget where we got the cats don't dance trap, where we where we went there. But, <laughs> but yeah, I like that about Carl. And I, I, it, when, when we see this shot here of Burke and, you know, like a shark kind of approaching Carl. Right. Carl's smile doesn't feel as because he's talking to party guests here. Mm -hmm, It doesn't mm -hmm. feel like a customer service smile, like a a Mr. Hot Dog Stand managing (laughs) smile. They're like, oh, I would love to give you that. He seems genuinely happy to be talking to people. Right. Probably because it's it's been like the uh, the the most time that he hasn't talked to Burke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been what is it like? You see those those uh, those on the whiteboard in the classroom. It's right. been you know one day, two days, three days since uh, an interaction with Burke, right? And then it just it all gets crossed out. Um, but yeah, uh, and and I know that he is a little bit uh, different in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, like I hope I hope listeners aren't uh, you know getting tired of me bringing. It. I was like, well, in the book, Carl is this and da da da. Oh well, um, I hope that's what they're here for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, but like, uh, and and the reason I keep on harping on um, book Carl is because there is a payoff that like like we're getting set up for for like a really really emotional scene with Carl later on mm-hmm. and so uh, like at least the way Blatty wrote him um it it's 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 a really good setup to kind of have him not have any emotion yet uh-huh right yeah right and it's also comedic like especially with him and everybody else right yeah. but yeah so yeah, speaking of smile, we got a, a more of a shit-eating grin here on Burke's face um, as he stalks his prey. Uh, this is good. Good you uh, uh, picked up on the shark thing. Um, he's gone past the point of no return in his drinking. Uh, this is something Chris observes in the book. There's a certain point where Burke gets mean, uh, but he's still playing it off as like cordial, and he's like, "Tell me, was it public relations you did for the Gestapo or community relations?" So he's calling Carl a Nazi. Yeah, um, it's interesting. So we're going to see these two fights. It seems that the trigger for for Carl in the next scene is the actual word Nazi. Like he could put up with a bunch of these other you know synonyms mm-hmm. for Nazi, but then it's when right. you know if once he actually uses that word, and that's just a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah, you know, this is a generation of people right after World War II, and so Carl, mm-hmm. even if he was Swiss, I mean, um, would would be maybe used to it, be, being mm-hmm. German, Swiss, being used to um, being presumed to be German and everything that comes with that. 
Right, right. Um, and it is, yeah, like, um, like Keenan says, it, it's, it's uh, a little bit um, closer to the actual time. Mm-hmm. And then also we have, um, you know, Carl being Swiss, like, and this is something I tell my students as well, is that, you know, in Europe, uh, theirs is a, a, a different experience from ours, say, for example, mm-hmm. like they actually had Nazis marching in uh, the streets right. of their of their home countries and everything. Uh, it was we we haven't had that. Um, you know, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but right. Knock wood, knock on wood. Yeah, <laughs> cross ourselves. Right. <laughs> do do the big one and the minimus also. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, like and and I try to impress that uh, on my students when we're talking about like it. Coincidentally, we're we're going over World War Two uh, again, and I just find it. Um, uh, a little bit frustrating that I have to kind of um, remind my <laughs> my students that Nazis are bad um, <laughs> because now we have entertainers and and uh, people on public platforms saying that they're like maligned and misunderstood and it's like no no right yeah there well there are some like bills going through that aren't laws yet and I don't know how how likely they are to pass but if we're recording this in 2023 now Happy New Year Lester Happy New Year Kenan. Uh, Happy New Year listeners Happy New Year uh, but there there are like some bills that are like oh we should be teaching uh, a controversy we should be teaching both sides of things and when you extrapolate that to history that means what both sides to slavery, both sides to uh, yeah. to Nazism, the Holocaust. It's it's really kind of a crazy time. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of those bills aren't going to pass, but they're kind of just scary that they're even yeah coming up at all. It's it's a scary time that this is even this is even being thought of as a thing, <laughs> right. right? Like I'm all for I'm all for looking at both sides of things. I'm all for having an open mind, but there are certain things mm-hmm. like slavery, like genocide, like <laughs> right. you know the Holocaust. It's like no, there's only one side. Right there, there are there are clear bad guys in uh, in those stories, and we don't need to kind of like go in there and, and pretend to be like oh i'm, I'm so in, i'm so much more enlightened than the people who actually <laughs> lived through this i can i can pick this up. no no right <laughs> yeah um sorry this is more of a tangent here but but then like i was just reading about a um a historian uh, i think his name was heck and he was a he was a hitler youth and um you know he so he survived and then eventually was um was disillusioned with hitlerism um nazism and so like that's a very valuable perspective so he would go around yes. with people um um you know from the jewish community jewish historians and talk together about what it was like to be a you know a um a jewish child during the third reich and then a, a hitler youth child and like that's a very valuable um point of view but but that's not both sidesism. You know, that's very much like, like, look, this is how it worked from the inside. This is how it got us. Yes, um, yes. That, yeah. Mm. And he was pointing out about how, how many millions of, of German teenagers were killed because of the, the, the use of the Hitler youth in the, um, um, in the army and in, in that whole apparatus, which is, again, mm-hmm. a very good perspective to know. Yeah. Yeah, that see, I would I would much rather hear um, that being um, uh, spoken on platforms, right. um, you know, that perspective and, you know, perspectives. Yeah. Per, then, uh, you know, a person who, you know, hasn't been there, uh, wasn't born yet. Right. And is is trying to, I don't know, like be edgy or just like have a different opinion than other than everyone else and, and not really understand or feel in their bones like the impact of what they're actually saying. Yeah. And all that is to say, like, like beyond what it's happening in 2023, like when we look at the exorcist, like these are really raw nerves for these Europeans. Yes. So yes. these are our two European, well, with Willie as well. These are our two European characters, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think it is so important 
like uh, when I when I teach film history, you know, we have mm. to spend quite a lot of time on World War Two, mm. just because um, you know I don't want to I don't want to be that historian who's like like you know like your dad who reads World War Two books. You know, it's like that's yeah. the only part of history. But but right. it but changed. to be fair, it is the thing it that like we thing. <laughs> need to kind of you know like have pinned down right, right. apparently because we still have. <laughs> people <laughs> right but talking about how nazis are misunderstood Ugh. right but like like it, it changed so much of like world war ii beyond the war itself like the ramifications in our culture um right. in our theology right like yes. like this is a big reason why um so much of europe has become secularized is because of world war ii like how can you live through that i mean you either live through world war ii and come out with your faith renewed Right. right. Or it destroyed. Like, and then oh, there's right. no reason why you should have. So a lot of the movies that we're talking about that influence the exorcist, like say Bergman films from Sweden, mm-hmm. right? Bergman was the son of a chaplain, uh, the chaplain to the King of Sweden. And mm-hmm. then he looks around and is like, well, what, what good did that do for anybody? You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's in Europe. Right. And so then he makes these movies, um, that are perhaps not atheists, right? They are definitely like uh, agnostic and they're questioning faith. And this is where Max mm-hmm. von Sydow comes in a lot of these films. Right. right? right. Um, but, Certainly, that's a very different perspective where, than before in European films, um, which are more like, oh, God is good, right? God mm-hmm. like unquestionably good at just what men do with God. That's different. And then, right. and then there's some Bergman-esque questions. They're like, well, is God good if it allows this to happen? Right, right. I really like that, like, um, that third kind of uh, avenue that some films take uh, or some, you know, books take as well is the, you know, not the belief or, or non-belief, but also just like being angry at God, right? like, at like taking him to task, like saying, Hey, explain yourself. Like why, why, why all of this, right. you know, um, that's, and, and that's, that's kind of like the, um, the feeling I got with, um, with the seventh seal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and that's a movie where God does exist for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. right. If there's, if there's, if there's the grim reaper, then, you know. <laughs> Right. But anyways, yeah. So for to have these um, these characters who were are, it, it's only, um, you know, less than 20 years after the biggest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Right. For these yes. characters. Right. Uh, so to bring, the, you know, it, it explains a little bit why it's such a touchy subject. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, you know, Carl replies that he is Swiss and he moves away. But our camera lingers on Burke and he says, yes, of course. And you never went bowling with Goebbels either, I suppose. eh? Nazi bust. <laughs> and Keenan, before we move to the next conversation at this party, I, I just want to hear what you make of this little exchange. So we just talked about how, you know, in this time, World War II it, it still you can you can feel the sting of it. Right. Yeah, It's not um, history. It's not history. It's right. it's reality. Right. And especially for these two Euro- European characters. So I want to hear what you make out of this little exchange here between Burke and Carl, because this is something from the book also, but I feel like it's a little, it's played a little differently here. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get your impression. Like what's going on? Is, is his antagonization for the sake of antagonization or is there real anger there? Hmm. Well, I want to play devil's advocate before I say what, what my, what my <laughs> choice here is. Okay. Um, okay. But you know, to, if he's thinking like, oh, he, this is really a, a Nazi or at least a German, right? A, mm-hmm. a German who survived the war. 
Right. Oftentimes, Germans did claim to be Swiss or something else, right? Mm, they did hide okay. behind that. And this is also a time where there were people um, in the 1970s, there were, um, there were uh, stories in the news about Germans being discovered in Brazil and Argentina, right? And, and uh, right, right. being hunted down there and, and people um, not knowing that their neighbors 10 years, 20 years after the war were actually Nazis, right? right. That was really still very fresh. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that Burke is just being a shit kicker. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't yeah. think he really believes it. Um, I mean, I, he's had plenty of opportunities to hear from Chris, you know, about about Carl's real life, right? right. And about his real uh, biography. So I just think he's kind of a, a bastard about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would have to agree with you, uh, Keenan. Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, with, with the book and everything, the, the way that I've always read it in the book is that Burke just delights in making people uncomfortable. Um, like we saw in the last minute where he's messing with the astronaut mm-hmm. or I guess the the senator in the book. And Burke has a special hostility towards Carl because Carl is the only one who doesn't react. I think Burke fancies himself a bit of a like a modern day Oscar Wilde, <laughs> um, you know, in his own mind, at least. And the fact that his insults have no effect on uh, someone really drives him up the wall. Um I think theirs is an old relationship, um, Carl and Burke. They met back in L.A. through Chris, probably. I think uh, Burke has known Chris a little bit longer. And at some point when Willie and Carl were hired on, Burke was like, oh, good, someone new to mess with. And he tried. And as we'll come to find, Carl has seen some shit and all of his emotion is invested in one single thing. And he does not have any extra fucks to give about anyone or anything else, least of all Burke. So he never shows any reaction to Burke's um, antagonization. Yeah, that's interesting. Like Oscar Wilde would would say things and he he would get, you know, people blushing in the 1800s. (laughs) Right. And now Burke is trying to be that potentially. And like people are, you know. They've heard some things. They're still they're they're not so scandalized by. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, my 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 favorite line from Oscar Wilde is when he was talking about that alien pubic hair floating in his gin. <laughs> Do you remember that? Ah, oh, it's just pure that. genius. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I wish I had more Oscar Wilde quotes sort of at the ready, you know, because mm. he is so funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, like that used to be the height of witticism at a party, right? Like, well, mm-hmm. as Wilde would say. So all I can yeah. think of is um, is uh, in <laughs> in importance of being earnest, mm-hmm. where uh, where she says, "Well, to lose one parent would be considered unfortunate, but to lose both would just be considered carelessness." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to apply that at a dinner party <laughs> for I anecdotes. <laughs> I mean, we would say that to, well, yeah, oh God, there's so many, there's so many sensitive, uh, you know, parent, <laughs> uh, children relationships in this movie that would, that would stop the party like real quick. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, like I, I, I'm probably going to misquote him, but, um, I remember, <laughs> right, I remember exactly. he was trying. Yeah, like that's 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 the thing to do is misquoting Oscar Wilde <laughs> as as often as, uh, as the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think he was traveling at one point, and uh, uh, the the customs guy was like, "Oh, do you have anything to declare?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Only my genius, <laughs> right?" <laughs> okay, I, and folks, I want you to pay attention to this because we are going to meet someone soon who is actually really good 
at antagonizing and getting under people's skin with very little effort. Um, he just makes a comment, makes a remark, and it stings more deeply than anything Burke has done. Um, and a lot of lines, he does it in Burke's voice. I think you know who I'm talking about now. Um, but yeah, it, so in the book, once Reagan is like fully possessed, she speaks in Burke's voice a lot more. Like I know we have, you know, the one famous scene and the one famous sentence in the movie, but like there's actually the demon Burke gets almost as much, um, I almost said screen time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost as much page time as the real Burke, uh, to the point where characters are like actually wondering is like, is that really Burke? Is he, is Burke in there too? Um, well, that's a yeah. good question. Yeah. People still debate about that. Right. Right. I have, I have, uh, my opinions and uh, I'll, I'll wait to, to share those, but yeah. yeah, as long as we're not worried about spoilers here <laughs> for mm-hmm. people who are yeah. watching the movie way out of well, order okay. or whatever, but yeah, but let me, like, let me actually say, let me actually say something to that. Um, so it, there, I, I, I said before that we're going to like try to avoid spoilers <laughs> and I'm, and I'm still going to try my best, but this movie kind of requires that you talk about future stuff in order to kind of uh, look at, uh, you know, why certain characters do things and, and just the import or the, or the impact or the reasoning behind, or, or like, wasn't it cool when that happened? Um, and I know like in Star Wars Minute, they do this too. Like, they, like they gave up really, really quick that, you know, Darth, Darth Vader is, uh, is Luke's father and Leia's father. And like in, in episode four, they're like, um, you know, it's like Darth Vader is going to meet, uh, uh, Leia in the prison cell. And it's like, oh, this is actually his daughter. Because what, like, what's the alternative? Like, if we, if we keep that a secret until episode, uh, five until Empire Strikes Back. Then we're gonna have to be like, "Hey guys, remember all the way back in minute fifty six of Episode four when he was interacting with his daughter? Like that would that would give us whiplash." So we, right. I, I think, just for the sake of this uh, medium that we're performing in, like uh, like all the facts being laid out, kind of just makes it easier to like yeah, analyze. We have heard from some listeners who have not watched the film, which is interesting. Oh, okay, well, I reject everything. <laughs> no, I no, no. I just think it's interesting that they're doing that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's up to them. <laughs> you know, the way yeah. that they want to watch. We, we, we'll take anybody. Um, we'll take anybody. Um, or like, yeah. you know, my... Um, my boyfriend listens to the show and hasn't seen the film, you know, in, in oh, okay. you know, 20 years. So it's, it's like, right. you know, he, he, um, you know, he, he could have watched the movie, you know, he could have watched yeah, the movie yeah. together, but, um, <laughs> oh, but the thing is, you know, he was like, should, should we watch the exorcist tonight? I'm like, oh, he really wants to, but like, I don't want to watch the exorcist. You know, I want, that's, that's. <laughs> kind of a job right yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> i had the else. same i had the same thing during christmas holidays it's like my family and my friends were like hey i know what movie you'd want to watch and they're like ah, i'm on vacation right um but anyways like i, I think that's interesting right because so the burke burke will die after this party so this will be the last yes. time that we see burke and then mm-hmm. so the first time that we see captain howdy in reagan mm-hmm. burke is already gone Right. Yes. So mm-hmm. so that is part of the reason why we're questioning like, oh, has has Captain Howdy absorbed some of Burke? Like the like when he kills somebody, is that sort of what happens, right? He's he's killing right. them now. Um which uh could I mean there's lots of evidence for that being the case. There's lots of evidence mm. as I think you're implying that he's more of a trickster and just using things that bother people or or some combination of the two. Yeah, I think I think he has the the Burkish ability to uh uh with very, very little effort say something that will make another person feel really, really, really bad, right? right? Like knowing, having all of their files, having their whole like case history and their, all of their secrets laid bare, like in a couple of words, like, do you know what she did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you're worrying about that. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, in any case, uh, we move from this little conversation to rejoin Chris. And now she's with Father Dyer and another lady, Mary Jo Perrin, who is actually 
a spiritual medium, uh, going back to that uh, spiritualist movement we talked about in uh, minute 23, I think it was, um, she has a bigger part in the book. I believe I read somewhere that a lot of her stuff was cut from the film, but she does have two really good moments in the book and one that would happen near the start of the party before Reagan goes to bed. So I'm just going to read this little uh, passage here, a reading from the book of Bloody. Reagan was strangely well behaved, except for a moment with Mrs. Perrin when she would neither speak nor accept her hand. But the CRS made a joke of it. <laughs> Knows I'm fake, she winked at Chris. But then, with a curious air of scrutiny, she reached forward and gripped Reagan's hand with a gentle pressure, as if checking her pulse. Reagan quickly shook her off and glared malevolently. Oh dear, 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 she must be tired, Miss Perrin said casually. Yet she continued to watch Reagan with a probing fixity and anxiety unexplained. So yeah, it, it, Mary Jo knows something. <laughs> that sounds like a wonderful subplot that would make a lot of sense for the book. Again, it's like this thought experiment as we're talking about adaptation. Like the movie for me is pretty perfect, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so what would it have been like if we had kept in these lines that are in the script um, yeah. for Mary Jo Perrin to be a presence? So it's, it's interesting as we look at it. I love this shot that establishes we're in a new conversation now and it is kind of objective it's it's looking down um over the couch over father dyer and mary yeah. joe Perrin. there's a fireplace there's a candle um all mm -hmm. lining up with chris it's really lovely like um it, it makes it feel a little bit more like we're we're eavesdropping on a conversation yes yes um and then we go into this and it's very um very like we're eavesdropping or maybe somebody oh, else. Somebody, else. <laughs> somebody, somebody who's hiding behind that banister before. <laughs> right. And I like the idea that like, oh, it's such a it's such a party that now the hostess is sitting on the floor rather than, you know, she's run out of chairs yeah. or something. She's trying to make everyone else feel comfortable. And then it's at a certain point in the party where people are no longer just completely standing up stiffly with um, hors d'oeuvres in their hands, right? They're like right. like kind of relaxing into this. Now it's time for real conversations to start happening. Yeah. 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 Okay, so yeah, speaking of uh, this conversation, let's join this uh, fun-filled conversation right here. Keenan, I thought, I thought we were going to be all done with this, and it just keeps popping back up, and now I'm thinking about future minutes, and I'm realizing we're never going to be done with this. Oh, no. Even after, <laughs> even after this scene, it's going to keep popping up and surprising us, and I hate it. I hate <laughs> this part of our movie that we are closely examining. Ah! <laughs> You're talking about the, the fate of Mary Karras, I suppose. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, uh, we join them in the middle of a conversation where Chris is still trying to find out the name of that priest she's been seeing. And I realized like in this viewing, it's like, oh, she hasn't met Karis yet. Right. And I forgot that because like we've met Karis and we've spent a significant amount of time with Karis, maybe even more than the average viewer because we're sort of watching this movie almost in slow motion. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're very familiar with Karis at this point. Uh, so in this minute, I sort of had to like remind myself, oh, right, Chris hasn't even met him yet. And that's like weird to think about that. That was a weird little surprise. And I'm realizing because we're doing this the way that we're doing this, examining this movie minute by minute, uh, but also connecting past, present and future minutes like thematically, time has sort of ceased to exist and everything is relevant all at once right um and ironically i feel like this is the way some people say uh, uh time affects god 
right? Mm -hmm. Like just to get like thematic here, um, like everything exists all at once. And that's how we're looking at these characters. And so I sort of forgot that we haven't even gotten to the point in our timeline where these two characters have met. But if we go by the actual timeline of the character, she's only caught a few glimpses of him and there's just something about him that draws uh, her, uh, that fascinates her. Um, and in fact, in the book, she was kind of hoping that uh, he would show up at the party. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, she she invites uh, uh, some priests to the party. Um, I think she says like, um, like, uh, 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 like the president or something like that. And um in in lieu of the president coming, um, it's like, oh yeah, you know, like like uh, that guy couldn't make it, so uh, another priest is coming, and her ears kind of perk it's up, like, and it's oh, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh who, like, which which one, which one? And they're like, oh, Father Dyer, and she's like, oh, which who is that? And uh, they they say, and it's like, oh, okay, it's not it's not the one I was thinking. Oh of. yeah, yeah, she probably came over and like, oh, there's there's the father. Oh no, it's you. <laughs> yeah, it's you. <laughs> That's how she opens the party. <laughs> um, what you you. Yeah, it's it's interesting how how we spent all this time. I was going to talk about this a little later, but but now is a good time mm. to talk about. It. <clears throat> like, yeah. I've said before on the show, we've we have a very very long Act One mm-hmm. for The Exorcist. It's all it's well, I'll have to pinpoint where it is, but like, yeah, we part of it is because we have a we have a prologue with right. Father Marin. But even if we didn't have a, a prologue with Father Marin, we basically have to have an Act One for Damien and an Act One for Chris. Yes. So we really have like three starts to the film. Um, mm-hmm. So Act Two, I don't want to get too wonky about screenwriting structure or like movie structure, but but you know Act Act Two will start when the major problem of the film has introduced itself and the main characters are trying to solve that problem. Yeah. So yeah. that that really is when um, when Chris and and Damon start to work together, right? So yeah. that's a very definite moment. So that's pretty far into the film. That's act two. I mean, that, if you define act two, right, as like, well, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that's act two, right? Like the, when, oh the, God. when the protagonist or main character or hero or whoever you want to define him is, yeah. is trying to solve the problem that's been foisted upon them. That's what act two is, right? Oh, my God. We are. We are. We're going to be in Act One for a long time. <laughs> That's what I mean, right? So, so it's all very interesting still, but this is all still like the world and the um, the the stakes and the the um, the debate about whether I should believe what's in front of my eyes, right? right. None of that is Act Two. Wow. And sometimes, you know, the, the way that these things happen, people can debate me all the time. You know, they could debate and say no, whatever. Um, but yeah, we have not really gotten to it. So it's like a character encounters a problem. A character tries to solve that problem. The problem is resolved. Like that's that's mm. one, two, and three. So they have not tried to solve the problem yet of, of the fact that Reagan is possessed. Wow. And actually, so you bring up a really, really good point, Keenan, because I've noticed like every time you have a story about a supernatural thing or or like like just maybe a non normal thing so i'm thinking like aliens i'm thinking ghosts i'm thinking demons i'm thinking dracula whatever there it's it's unavoidable it's requisite we we have to have some screen time dedicated to the main characters kind of like listing from side to side and being like well i don't know right never ever 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 do you have one of these um like supernatural stories where the moment a vampire shows up or the moment uh, a ghost shows up it's like oh well you're a ghost and um, <laughs> then now now we're on to you know uh, the the next act 
unless unless it's like a world where like those things are right not. a van helsing or something right right yeah. right yeah. yeah exactly well because in in the real world right if we were if we want to believe that what we're seeing is in the real world then well mm-hmm. it would be insane for chris to um one day Reagan shows up and says, oh, I mean, I'm sleeping in your bed because my bed was shaking. And then Ray and mm-hmm. then Chris goes, well, we got to take you to an exorcist. <laughs> right? Right. We got to get you right there. <laughs> well, that's crazy pants, right? That's insane. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I think we've been kind of like saturated with it to the point where like people mock these stories now uh, and they and they call the main characters stupid right. for not seeing the obvious thing that like, oh, oh, don't you see that your daughter's possessed? Oh, don't you see that, you know, Bella Lugosi is a Dracula, mm-hmm. you know, um, Renfield, you idiot. <laughs> like, but it, again, like, you know, put yourself in in these uh, these characters shoes like I've seen stuff in real life that I just kind of like. You know, like like I'm walking down the street and I see something. Did I tell you uh, uh, ever about the Good Morning Lady? No, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, buckle up. Um, like uh, me and my uh, then girlfriend at the time, we were you know walking in the park, and it was uh it was late at night. Um, we had we had just finished our date and we were just kind of like taking a walk to kind of like work off the the food we'd eaten mm. and you know just like chatting and laughing and having a good time, and um we passed by this park bench. And, uh, there's this little old lady sitting there and she looks up as we pass by and she's like, Oh, good morning. And I said like, without even thinking, like just, it's like, like ingrained in me. I'm like, Oh, good morning. <laughs> and then I'm walking by and, 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 uh, you know, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she likes to, she, she likes to remind me of this. Um, we're still friends now. And she's like, you stopped and you had this like puzzled, like anguished look on your face. Like, it's not morning, <laughs> you know, which made both of us laugh. And then, and then, you know, we just, we just like picked up again and we just started walking, but I looked back and she was gone. <laughs> this little old lady was gone. And now again, like I, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing all of our listeners being like, well, yeah, you just didn't see her get up and leave. Right. And you know what, folks, that's what I tell myself too, because the alternative, the alternative, like even, even if we were in like a closed space and there was no way to get out. And even if like I saw her disappear in front of my mm-hmm. eyes, I would, I, that's what humans do. We would rather it be a normal thing. So we would, we would make it up in our minds. Right. So, so don't knock these characters for um, not believing like right off the bat. Well, it, you know, I think that it's also masterfully done in The Exorcist, obviously, because everything where it's like, oh, that could be something that could be something evil or supernatural. It's balanced mm-hmm. by some pretty reasonable, you know, um, yes. <laughs> you know, that that that's what makes it. Uh, that's what makes us uh, believe that these characters would have the reactions that they have. Right. And. Oh, we're talking about spoilers, but I, I, it's like we've we've brought it up. See, see, folks, it's like it's this organic thing. We can't we can't not talk about it. But um, I'm going to talk about this more in later uh, later minutes. But pay attention to like all of the supernatural occurrences. Like Keenan is saying, like there's there is an explanation for each of them, right? Like maybe even more so in the book. Like when we when Karis goes into uh, hypnosis, telekinesis, and talking about like languages and stuff. There's a reason the demon says la plume de matante, right, and nothing else. There's a reason that uh uh, you know for the for the holy water tap water thing it's like and it's all it all has to do with like that's that's by design Mm -hmm. that is that is not like a a movie uh flub that's not um something that uh it's meant to keep us questioning by design it's meant to keep karis questioning by design Mm -hmm. so pay attention to that like like this uh this demon is really really tricky um yeah 
lies upon lies upon <laughs> lies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> speaking of Karis and uh, speaking of time being wonky, um, we get another little nasty surprise here that always catches me off guard. Um, how about you, Kim? Mm-hmm. Like, um, we knew it was coming, but it, doesn't it always seem like we blinked and jumped ahead in time and then Father Dyer drops this bomb that Karis's mother has passed away and then he doesn't stop there. Keenan, he doesn't stop. He he goes on to talk about how they wouldn't have known because no one goes to see her and the only way they knew was because the radio was going all the time. Movie, stop, <laughs> stop. Right, that's the... Uh. So he's uh, saying this to a stranger, right? Dyer yes. saying this. Um, I guess part of the question is like, what does Dyer think is the bigger... the bigger... Um, um, shock to Damien, right? That the mother has died or that, that she, that he had left her alone in the apartment for so long. Right. 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 But also I have this question, right? Like, mm. is this, is this true? You know, when, when people pass away, sometimes you put out a story. Um, this is a pretty terrible story. Um, yeah. But like, wouldn't we have assumed that she would have died in the psychiatric hospital? Right. That's always what I think until I watch this movie again right. or until I read the book again. Yeah. Um, well, does the book say for sure that she dies in it at home? Or just this, just this hearsay. Um, the book has. Oh gosh, I'm going to have to go back and remember. Mm-hmm. Like the book has um, this exact conversation, but I can't remember if it is if it's Dyer saying it mm-hmm. or if it's like reflection of like Karis. Hang on, right. hang on. I'm going to. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay, found it. Um, he seems to be taking it pretty hard, resumed the Jesuit. She was living by herself, and I guess she was dead uh, for a couple of days before they found her. Oh, how awful, Mrs. Perrin murmured. Who found her, Chris asked solemnly. Uh, the superintendent of her apartment building, I guess. They wouldn't have found her even now, except, well, the next-door neighbors complained about her radio going all the time. Okay, so this is... uh. This even in the book, it's Father Dyer saying it, so it's in quotes. Right, so, I mean, they... They're both terrible stories, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but but it does seem like Damien is particularly shaken that he has taken his mother to the psychiatric ward. Right. So maybe that's even more of an embarrassing story, you know? It just doesn't – the story just doesn't jive with what we were led to believe was going to happen. So that's why I, mm. I, I – maybe I'm re, maybe I'm being too skeptical a little bit. But mm. um, but if this were well, further I'm, along – you know, if, yeah. if this were that she died at home, then that means we're even further along in time than we would have thought. Right. And that's, yeah, that's the confusing thing for me. Like, so, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm a little confused by what you said, Keenan. So are you saying that Father Dyer is lying? Not that Father Dyer is, is lying, but that the family has put together potentially a statement that is like, well, she was dying at home, right? But why would they make a story that's worse? Well, is it worse? Than, well, is it, that's what I'm saying. Is it worse than, than we left her in a mental institution when she wasn't crazy? We took oh. her to Bellevue as a mental institution when she wasn't crazy. We just couldn't afford to, you know, buy her the proper care where she wouldn't be lashing out at the doctors, right. which is what yeah. happened. Private hospital. Who's got the money? Yeah, that? exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, the other thing that if she did die at home, that that means that Uncle Tito, Uncle John, is right. <laughs> that they would release her from uh, after a couple of oh, days. God. Because <laughs> <laughs> his plan is, oh, we're going to put her here because she's being too combative to the, the doctors. They're not going to put up with that, right? Because we're, we yeah. you know, we're dealing with the cheaper doctors and they're not going to put mm-hmm. up with this. So we'll, we'll say that she's crazy. We'll put her here. They'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And after a couple oh, of weeks, God. they'll release her. Yeah. It's all release, pretty bad. Quote, unquote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> 
I, I don't want to get off on too big of a tangent here, but right. the um, I, I read a lot about the historicity of Christ, like whether he or the historicity of Jesus, let's say, like whether okay. Jesus really existed or not. And I, I'm of the wait. Explain historicity. To um, me. you know, so like, like is is Jesus the Christ a character in the Bible or was he a real person? Oh, okay, or okay. both, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, right? So, like, so archaeologists uh, are trying to find evidence for the real Jesus as having existed, where mm-hmm. we can't find evidence for the real Moses being existed because mm-hmm. because the um, that's a little bit too far back in the archaeological record, right? Right. Um, right. So that that Moses, if he did exist, we just can't prove it historically. Right. Uh, wow. So, but Jesus, there, you know, there are people who are like, okay, we have this record of him in uh, as as uh, being um, put on trial by the Romans, etc. Um, and a lot of the historical things in the Bible match up about Pontius Pilate being the Roman governor at the time and all that. Right, right. And one of the things that some historians argue for is that the story of Christ being crucified mm. would have been so embarrassing for the early Christians mm. that that they would not want to make that up for their God. That it was oh. it was such a humiliating um, way for their God to be depicted that they wouldn't have picked it uh, as the way to yeah. die. So as proof of it being true, because like who would make up a story that paints Jesus in such a mm, like a, like an embarrassing yes, light? Yes, exactly. So that's one of the arguments for the historicity of, of Jesus. Interesting. Yeah. So Ooh. I don't know. So here we have, you know, this family story about how she died. And I don't know, which is more embarrassing that we left her alone at home and she died with yeah. the radio or we put her in Bellevue and she died there. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I mean, speaking to that, I wonder then if I mean, actually, Keenan, that that get, puts a whole nother like level of guilt onto Karis, like when he's talking to the demon and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I know what really happened mm-hmm. to, you know, your mother, right? right? Like you, you know, you put that story out in the papers, but no, I know, I know what happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. Terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also I was, I was thinking of this, uh, cause I was re-listening to our, uh, tubular bells episode mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, talking about Chris walking by and in the movie, at least the first time that she gets interested in Karis is when he says he feels like a fraud. And I wonder if that says something maybe about uh, Chris's um, Chris's attitude towards faith, right? Because mm-hmm. I think we talked about before that, you know, she is a skeptic. She is an, an atheist, but she's she's a little bit different in that she's um, she's she's yearning for something. Mm-hmm. And if you see a priest that is also having trouble believing, like that might be something that, you know, because like I, we said in, in that episode, like, what is it about this priest, right? Versus like, there's there's a bunch of priests there's there's a there's a, a flock a a um what's what's the group uh <laughs> of priests. Noun for priests yeah a parliament i don't know what it would a be parliament of priests, yeah. <laughs> a potpourri of priests um but you know no there's there's a bunch of priests like uh at uh, georgetown university right. so why this one and i I'm, I'm like figuring it out just now i like is it because he's struggling and and she's like ooh, ooh i want to i want to like talk to someone like that mm-hmm. right yeah, uh, you know, getting back to to Mary Karras, oh, right? Oh, let's like, yes, yeah, please. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> we were, we were having too good of a time. Let's let's go back. Yeah, um, <laughs> but like, no, I'm serious. Like, whether whether or not, um, you know, she she died in her home or she died in the hospital, like we literally just saw, her. right? And like, even at this snail's pace, we're doing. She was literally two episodes ago. This, like, we didn't get any closure. We didn't mm-hmm. get a goodbye. I don't know if Friedkin is trying to um, imitate the feeling you get when you lose someone for real, because, you know, sometimes 
because sometimes it is like that. It's so sudden and, and you're standing around like an, an actor on a set and you're like, hang on, Mr. Director, uh, God, is this really the next scene? Wasn't there like, I, th- I thought we would have a couple more scenes together. I, I didn't know the last scene was, was our last scene. I, I had a whole bunch of lines. I, didn't I have a whole bunch of lines I was going to say they're in the script. They're in my head. I was, I was going to say them. What about closure? What about reconciliation? Oh, we don't have time for that. We got to move on. We'll, we'll do that scene later, right? We'll do some pickups and no. Oh, that actor is done. That was her last scene. Ugh. Yeah, like it, like it really does feel like that. It, it's like a nasty surprise. <sighs> yeah, and especially in the Catholic sense of of the ideal death, it's it's one with a priest there, right? And right, that the person right. that the person who is dying understands that they're dying and that they accept that they're dying a- as positive, right? That's that's yeah. the, that the closure of death is a huge huge part of Catholicism. Right. There's a whole bureaucracy. There right. are papers you got to sign. There are <laughs> right. like, you know, I'm, I'm taking it lightly, but like, because I have to, <laughs> um, but like, no, like you, you are supposed to have like, like everybody's gathered around and everybody's there to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, it's like you're, you're a, a ship going off, you know, to, you know, a distant shore and everybody's, everybody's there at the docks and they're saying goodbye and, you know, and the priest is there and, and it's you, part you, of the sacraments. Like it's part of the yes. things like in your checklist of life. Again, I'm, I'm making light of it, but, but in your checklist mm-hmm. of life about what it is to lead a good Catholic life that you are supposed right. to do. Right. Uh, and yeah, so when it happens this suddenly, it always just feels like a like a really, really nasty surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, Keenan, I am uh, still extremely blessed uh, that I still have both my parents with me. Um, I, if I didn't, I don't think I would be able to do this minute. I don't think I would be able to do this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are folks out there, there are listeners out there who who have experienced a loss and, and my heart goes out to you. I, I, I hope you're able to find some sort of peace. I, yeah, I, like we said before, like these, like for, for you and me, I think, Keenan, the, these are the hardest like parts of this story, this part right here. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we move from there back to Burke and we see that he has abandoned the party in favor of bothering Carl and he's using his favorite word um in the in the jaron form i think uh and here at least he really does look like he's genuinely mad at carl he's he's like not just trying to get a rise out of him um but i don't know i could be mistaken uh but (laughs) i want to i want to read for you from our book because it, it goes a little different here let's have a listen a reading from the book of bloody Chris excused herself and went quickly to the kitchen where dennings was railing viciously at carl while sharon made futile attempts to hush him Burke! exclaimed Chris. Knock it off! The director ignored her, continued to rage, the corners of his mouth flecked foamy with saliva, while Carl leaned mutely against the sink with folded arms and a stolid expression, his eyes fixed unwaveringly on Dennings. Carl! Chris snapped. Will you get out of here? Get out! Can't you see how he is? But the Swiss would not budge until Chris began actually to shove him toward the door. Lazy pig! Denning screamed at his back, and then he turned genuinely to Chris and rubbed his hands together. Let's dessert, he asked mildly. Dessert? Chris thumped at her brow with the heel of her hand. Well, I'm hungry, he whined. Chris turned to Sharon. Feed him. I've got to get Reagan to bed. And Burke, for Christ's sakes, she asked the director, will you behave yourself? There are priests out there, she pointed. He creased his brow as his eyes grew intense with a sudden and apparently genuine interest. Oh, you noticed that too, he asked without guile. Oh, Burke. <laughs> oh, Burke. So, again, we have Burke as not just the instigator, but also the escalator. And as I just had a, an image in my mind. Never mind. Um, 
<laughs> I've never, I've never actually referred to somebody as an escalator. I think he's a wonder twin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like as well done as this scene is here in the movie, I like the book a little better because, and now I've talked about this before, but uh, the book is doing something with Carl. Blatty is setting him up as this guy who is not affected by anything, even stuff that other people would react to. Carl does not. And then Blatty pits him against probably the most reactionary character in the book, Burke, to further show us that no matter what happens, Carl is perfectly, almost superhumanly composed until he's not. In the book, we're setting the reader up for some really touching, really emotional scenes with Carl, and they're all the more impactful because we've seen up to that point that nothing bothers Carl. So when something does, our heart breaks for him. And so for this scene, I feel like they've like unfortunately sacrificed a bit of Carl's arc here. Um, they did a great job with Burke. Burke is Burke 100%. Um, but this Carl lost me a little bit. Mm. Well, that's yeah. interesting. And in 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 the screenplay, the draft that we have, it is a little bit um, shorter, right? So we don't have Chris coming in to witness the fight, and then all of this stuff afterwards. Uh, it just ends with what's dessert, what's for dessert. Um, so in the movie, in the screenplay, it goes what's for dessert, and then Chris has a little bit of the interaction with him that we have in the book. We're like, why are you thinking about dessert? Well, I'm hungry, and that's where it ends. So in each iteration, it gets shorter and a little bit punchier. Um, so again, I like this version, but as you're saying, it doesn't necessarily have all of the other um all of the other arc to it all the other shape to it right it's a very quick uh sequence um in this party sequence i mean it's about Mm -hmm. five minutes long in total and a lot happens yeah yeah Yeah. so i did say going back to the screenplay that i have another surprise for you lester that you might really like (laughs) okay we've had we have we've had a lot of surprises in this minute so far. I hope this is a good one. Oh, Lester. I hope, I hope this isn't like a Mary Karis <laughs> surprise. Oh no. Well, you might get you well, we'll see what happens. I'm going to be my oh, I'm going to be Burke to your Carl here. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> so, in the screenplay, the whole party sequence um, is right after a scene with Dr. Klein. So, okay. Dr. Klein says in the meantime trying not to worry and Chris says how. So, mm. we don't have Father Damien. All, all that stuff has been way before the Father Klein stuff. All right, so we have interior McNeil home, full shot. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. A reading from the screenplay of Blatty. Interior McNeil house, full shot living room, party in progress, night. A few Jesuits and some of the cast and crew of the motion picture are present. Vibrant hum of conversation, then a closer angle featuring Burke Dennings. Burke, an empty glass in his hand, stands chatting with the silver humane senator and senator's wife. Back of them and to the side, Chris is visible, chatting with the Jesuit dean of the college. (gasps) Carl is approaching the ladder with drinks tray. Burke seems irritable and tautly drunk. So... (laughs) Lester, did you notice what they call this guy? Oh, my goodness. You're right. That was a surprise. (laughs) Jesuit Dean. Jesuit Dean, he's back. So we have our conversation, as we said previously, with um, Burke trying to talk about the alien pubic hair. It's not with the astronauts in the movies with the senator. And then we go back to Chris. Angle at Chris, Jesuit Dean, and Mary Jo Perrin. Mary Jo is seated on a sofa with Jesuit Dean. Chris is on Mm. floor in front of coffee table facing them as all eat dinner. So the scene with Father Dyer, where Father Dyer is explaining um, the passing of of Mary Karras, is actually given to the Jesuit Dean. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, and I do like now that I think about it, I do remember in the book that f- like during this time, Father Dyer is is up and, a, and about and he's kind of like uh, going and uh, grabbing some food and he's talking and chatting with like he's he's actually like uh, he hangs around with uh, the astronaut a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sort of fascinated by like the concept of like um uh, space and and everything like that. So he's so he's really really kind of like um you know uh, digging into uh, this astronaut. Um and yes, you're you're absolutely right. It is the it is the the Jesuit dean who uh, reveals this. And there there's like a, a back and forth between him and um Mary Jo. Right. They they kind of um it, which I really really liked in the book because it's like oh this is this is a Jesuit priest talking to a you know essentially a psychic as mm-hmm. a, a medium and they're 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 comfortable enough with each other that they can kind of joke about it Um, exactly so that's what we have in the script is is that it is basically um to the jesuit dean and mary joe perrin talking about spiritualist stuff and then chris says hey i you know while you're talking about this who is who is this guy who is father karis um and they um so instead of what we have here oh um saint mike's that's where uh father um father karis works uh, he, he says, oh, St. Mike's. And the dean says, that's where we say black mass as a joke to Mary Jo. Yes. Yes. And Chris says, what's that? And Mary, oh, he's just kidding. Right. So the, no, oh, you know, basically it's a travesty of the Catholic mass. It's connected to witchcraft, devil worship cults. And then he looks around and says, you know, who knows more about that stuff for real is Joe Dyer. Let's go find Father Dyer. Right, right. Um, and even more um, would be would be Father Karras because he uh, like wrote a paper on mm-hmm. it from like the psychiatric end and everything like that. Um, and actually, yeah, this is thank you for bringing up the the Black Mass stuff, Keenan, because I wanted to I was trying to figure out like where we could uh, talk about it. But um, yeah, this is I think the first instance we get of um, them talking about what Black Mass is. And uh, Chris is also kind of like fixated on this. Like they, they, she, uh, uh, um, what is it? Uh, uh, Mary Jo mentions it as a joke uh, to, uh, to Jesuit Dean. And he kind of, okay, before, before this, this isn't our Jesuit <laughs> Dean, right? <laughs> Just, just so folks know, because I don't want to, I don't want to confuse anybody. Well, I've been waiting for you to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think this is the dean of Georgetown this is the University, dean of Georgetown University, of, and not the yeah. Jesuit dean uh, from from Iraq. I, th- who is actually <laughs> the cure? Because I, I watched. Okay, I, 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 I acquired my. <laughs> I've been waiting for this reaction. See, this is me being Burke, and you being Carl's. Like, oh, he seems to be taking this very, very well. <laughs> Okay. I, I I acquired um, a copy of the DVD. I didn't have it before. I, I'm watching it on Amazon. But the DVD has an audio commentary by William Friedkin. And so I was watching it like I was I was uh, doing my laundry the other day and I was watching and, and we get to the scene with the Arab curator, mm-hmm. as he is known in the book. And, and in the screenplay. Right? <laughs> and in the screenplay. And that's how uh, uh, Friedkin uh talks about him in the commentary so like i was like oh yes vindication yes this is not a school this is a this is a museum so luckily we have an episode called uh, what a wonderful day for um for jesuit dean you can look at that jesuit but dean. it but it is yeah. yeah so then in the credits that character is called jesuit dean mm-hmm. so there's some kind of i think this is some kind of production error yeah where they where they 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 credited this actor playing the um the curator as jesuit dean confusing him for a character that as far as i can tell is basically cut out of the movie right um, because he would be here because right. he would be the dean of georgetown university not the dean of a school in <laughs> in iraq in iraq right yeah so i think it's a production mistake that we've finally gotten to the the um 
the bottom of that there is a character in the script. So they they in production they were planning for there to be a character called Jesuit Dean, right? Because as you say, the Arab curator of antiquities doesn't quite make sense that he would be a Jesuit. Not that there right. aren't um, not that there aren't Catholics in Iraq, and there are Christians right. who are known as Chaldeans, which is sort of like right. a, um, both like a religious and a sort of sort of treated like an ethnic group. They are um, they are oppressed in Iraq, and a lot of them have come over to America and Canada and emigrated away from Iraq. So it's not right, that there right. aren't Christians in um, in Iraq, but it would be unusual that during the Saddam Hussein era in Iraq, there would be a Jesuit who's running a school there in the open. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And even more than that, yeah, like I, I think that the thing that got me and oh, I was like, oh, Keenan, I'm so glad like we have like like other shows and other stories, they have arcs and they have different characters and, you know, we can finally close the, uh, we can close this chapter on our favorite character, Jesuit Dean. Um, we found it, we found out like he's, his, his whole, his full story has been revealed. Um, I, yeah, because I think as we'll see in the next minute, um, there is another priest hanging around on the piano with Father Dyer that I, I mm. pr- might be this Jesuit Dean character who was sort right. of um, scaled down from the book to the to the screenplay, and then he cut down even more because, like, who we have left basically at that piano, as we'll see, um, mm-hmm. are a couple of characters who ha- have all their lines cut out. So, yes. like, like Mary Jo Perrin has no lines, uh, but she still is a character. She does things in the movie and potentially right. this dean and then the senator and his wife. Right. Right. Yeah. Like one of them uh, might be the senator and right. his wife. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Um, oh, boy. But yeah. And and again, just to, to reiterate, folks, it's like it was it was the fact that it was a um, it was not a museum. And it's like, why would why would Father Marin be working at a school? Like, what is he going to what is he going to do? Is he going to like Jesuit Dean's going to introduce him? It's like, OK, class, like um, we're going to we have a guest today. Um, and he's going to come and tell us how he found the head of a, a Mesopotamian demon. Um, and he, it's, it's any, save questions for the end. It's like, right. He has a PowerPoint slide and everything. <laughs> and also it like it like hurts what is what as we could see in our, our in the movie we could see it that this is a an arab um and presumably mm-hmm. a muslim who writes in arabic and then he has a mm-hmm. friend as opposed to father Marin being his um his employee at the university which is if he yeah. was the dean of the university that's what father Marin would be right so be then they would both imbalance. be jesuits and their friendship wouldn't be special at all exactly right. <laughs> exactly yeah. like who cares that two jesuits are friends <laughs> right exactly <laughs> oh you believe in the same thing i believe let's be friends it's like hmm. <laughs> It's like how is that how is that touching and emotional? <laughs> All right, great. So so yeah, perhaps okay. we're done with with Jesuit Dean and the saga of Jesuit Dean. You make no promises on, but, on uh, minute yeah. forty one, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh god! But also the fact that they're both speaking in Arabic to each other. Yes, yeah. Like, why would... <laughs> if they were both Jesuits and nobody else is around, right? Exactly, right. Okay, anyway. <laughs> T-shirts and coffee mugs with Jesuit Dean. I, I but want now, which Jesuit Dean? The other Jesuit oh, Dean? Oh, there's only... Keenan, there is only one. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, Where the hell We're at are the we? End. We went off. Okay. <laughs> are we? Yeah. Really? Um, okay. Uh, folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. Um, I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz, and you could find me on Instagram and Letterbox as Howdy Keenan. Howdy Keenan. I like it. Our website for the show is theexorcistminute.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, so if you like us and you want to share us with your friends, you can head on over there. Uh, we also have a listener group on Facebook. It's called 
Compelling Conversations, colon, an Exorcist Minute listener group. Um, just request to join and we'll let you in and then you can be in here with us. And of course, if you'd like to leave us a message, our email is theexorcistminute at gmail.com, all one word. Uh, we want to hear from you. Um, tell us how you found this film. What's your story with it? What's the scariest moment in the movie for you? We love hearing other people's experiences with this film. Lastly, Lastly, if you like the show and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do for our podcast that's uh, just starting out is to leave a five-star review and that'll help other people find us and we can help, uh, we can keep growing this cool community. Uh, I've met so many uh, cool people already. I want to meet more. Um, all right. So, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Until next time, folks, the, the power, power of, of the, the other Jesuit, Jesuit dean compels you. But it's like real research. We've discovered like like academic research, historical research. We've discovered what what Jesuit dean is. We're like, we're like, <laughs> it comes we're like archaeologists. You know? <laughs> we're like we're like archaeologists who work at a, a school, like Indiana, like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones. You know what Indiana Jones would say? He's like that character belongs in a museum. <laughs> can you ima- can you imagine? Like, like that's, that's the other story is that Jesuit Dean and uh, Father Marin are friends and they're like, you got to help me reach these kids. Like they, they can't do calculus. It's new math. Like, you know, and there's like a nice little eighties montage where, where Father Marin is like, is like helping them uh, out in the, in the trenches they're digging. And it's like, you know, it's like one Pazuzu head, two Pazuzu heads, right? Pazuzu plus X equals what, you know? And Jesuit Dean's in the, you know, he's in his, his, uh, I don't, I don't know, Dean's office. Right. And, you know, he, he turns around in his chair and he sees like an apple on his desk and he's like, ah, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. right. We're going to pass that AP, that AP archaeology test. Right. Right. (laughs) Wait, our students want to do a rock concert? (laughs) (laughs) Father Marin's There's no. There's no dancing allowed in this town, thanks to Saddam Hussein. (laughs) Oh, come on. Lighten up, Jesuit Dean. And in the end, right, you know, he cracks a smile and he starts dancing along. (laughs) Right. Well, I was wrong about all this, Marin. Yeah. Lancaster. I was was wrong about this, Lancaster. (laughs)